the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Only Go- Goats and Horses with Bread Roll and JT. Oh, brilliant intro, Bread Roll. And uh, what have I told you before? I do the one, two, three, fours around here. Um, <laughs> yeah, hello, everyone. Um, we are looking at Series 4, Episode 4 tonight. It's called It's Only Rock and Roll. And this one aired on the 14th of March, 1985, to 13.6 million viewers. So we seem to have... Uh, Completely leveled out now between the four, 13 and 14 million viewers. Uh, bread roll, so fairly healthy numbers, really. It is good numbers, actually. And um, this is an episode that was in our, uh, was, was it in our greatest hits, our sort of like top 10, or was it one of our honorable mentions? Yeah, it, was. It, was, it was number was seven, it? number seven in our top 10, indeed. Yeah, it's one that um, it's kind of a sort of have a, has a little place in our hearts. I'm not really sure why, but it is a really good episode, just randomly, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's one I've always had a soft spot for. And like you say, it's not one that's really kind of like, there probably are better ones in the grand scheme of things and as far as the wider story goes. I just happen to really like this particular episode. And before we get going, if anyone hears any weird noises, I do have my cat sat on me. Well, she's kind of tap dancing on me at the moment. Um, so if you hear any squeaky noises and purring, it is her. It's not me. Um, but back oh, to the episode. <laughs> oh, JT, it's absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's one of those episodes I just happen to like and I think it flows along quite nicely as obviously we'll discuss when we go through the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was um, it was a strange one to put in our top ten release. It's probably one that a lot of people don't remember, but it's definitely um, good in its own way. And um, two people that appear in this episode actually went on to have fairly big careers, didn't they? You got David Thewlis in it. He's got a pretty small part in this. I mean, he went on to be in loads of things, including playing is it Remus Lupin in Harry Potter? He had a, quite a big role in that, didn't he? He was in all the films, I think. Yeah, old Thewlis. He's had an amazing. I mean, he had an amazing career anyway, um, like acting wise. But he's been in some big franchises. He's in, like you say, Harry Potter as Lupin. He's also appeared in the DC universe. He's in um, Wonder Woman. He plays Ares, which is a really weird casting choice. But yeah, good actor. And like you say, he's only in this for about what I don't know, like five minutes, if that really. Yeah, and then Daniel Peacock, who plays old Mental Mickey. I mean, he's done a lot of TV stuff. He's been in pretty much every TV show that people around this time are in. The Bill. Doctor Who, um, I think he was in Casualty, The Young Ones, Robin of Sherwood he was in, if you remember that. One Foot in the me- Grave, I mean, classic casu- uh, comedy that was, One Foot in the Grave. Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much every show, as you say, like the classic British uh, comedies, really. It's funny you should mention Robin of Sherwood, because he's also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I think. He plays a guy called yeah, Paul in that. Um, yeah. yeah, I love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It's a bit of a childhood classic, but I always... First time I watched this episode, I was like, ah, it's Paul from Robin Hood. And obviously now I just know it's mental Mickey because this has kind of taken over a bit. He was also in Gandhi, apparently. I don't know who played in that. But according <laughs> Probably not to Wikipedia, Gandhi. I don't think he was Gandhi, no, but he was in it. Um, his, his dad was also um, Trevor Peacock, who was best probably known as uh, Jim Trott in Old Vicar of Dibley. That's his dad. So, oh, fair. Yeah, acting acting family there. Yeah, random, again, picked up from Wikipedia. Yeah. Encyclopedia of knowledge that it is. Absolutely, yeah, and it must be true if it's on Wiki. Also, um, 
Speaking of the reference, oh, the, between uh, Only Fools and Vicar Dibley, oh, Roger Lloyd Pack's in uh, Vicar Dibley as well, isn't he? Old Trigger. He is. It's weird, actually, because I wouldn't say I was a fan of Vicar Dibley first time around. I kind of watched it on and off. But it, when it's on gold now, I watch it every now and then. I do quite enjoy watching it back. It was actually quite good. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And there's an episode with Sean Bean in, so we can put that on the list yeah. of the few things that Sean Bean doesn't die in, is Vicar Dibley. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the one of the few things he doesn't die in. Um, so, should we have a look at the old uh, synopsis on this one, then, Bread Roll? Yeah, before we get too sidetracked, we better start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, again, pulled from Wikipedia. Um, it's quite a hefty one, this one, actually. And before I start, as always, shout out to old uh, Dan Parkinson for providing us with the uh, theme tune that we use for the intro to this show. Check him out. Dan's TV Jams on YouTube is the best place to check him out. Lots of different themes he's done, Only Fools and Horses obviously being one of them. But yeah, everything from Breaking Bad to Match of the Day, it's well worth checking out. Anyway, let's have a look at this one then, Bread Roll. So, at a warehouse, as Dale Boy loads up the van with the latest item to flog, called Candy Dolls, Rodney tells him that he's just joined a band that are styling themselves on Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Dale points out that Rodney does not have any drums, as well as mentioning they should not be around, he should not be around that bunch of wallies, especially their wild lead singer, Mental Mickey Maguire, who once bit another man's ear off. He is then revealed that each candy doll has a different voice chip meant for another toy, and the Trotter brothers then drive off. So that's pretty, it's quite a short intro actually, and I think I said a while ago we don't really ever see Dell buying stuff, um, and we don't actually see him buying the dolls in this, but we do see him loading them into the van, similar to the, the dogs or the cats he bought in the, A Touch of Glass a few series back. Yeah, that's true. You never, like you say, see him doing a negotiation or handing the cash over, so to speak. Um, but this fucking warehouse is so grotty and dodgy looking in it. Mm. I mean, Rodney's on the fucking phone and it's hanging off the bloody wall. So <laughs> it's sort of like, I mean, we know Dell obviously doesn't buy top quality gear anyway, but this show's just about, you know, how low and dirty, like some of the back end of London, no offence to anyone, obviously lives around sort of like the East End or wherever this is set. Um, but uh, yeah, the show's obviously Dell doesn't really have any scruples where he gets his stock from. Yeah, I mean, like I say, we don't actually see him buy it, but we obviously find out the dolls are dodgy, shock horror. Yeah, that phone, it's literally hanging off the wall. <laughs> Rodney's there. Dell's loading the van, which is quite rare, isn't it? Normally he gets Rodney to do all the work, and obviously he's having a go at Rodney because he's just on the phone. But um, normally Dell would kick Rodney off the phone and get him like his ass moving, I think. So it's quite surprising Dell's actually doing some manual labour for once. That's true. There's a couple of bits in this um, episode that are a little bit out of character for obviously the usual camaraderie between Dell and Rodney. Uh, one thing I will say is these boxes of candy dolls and stuff, they're fucking massive. Like, surely you can only get like one in the back of the van because they're huge, about the size of David Jason when he's lugging them around. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few of them piled up in there. I don't know if Dell's bought the whole lot, but yeah, you're right. They are big old boxes. And Dell's back in his baby blue v neck in this one. He's got his sheepskin coat on, so he's ditched the pink thing he was wearing last week. Yeah, hopefully, like we say, that was just like a one and done. Um, but I'll have to uh, keep a note out, see about that uh, bright pink, baby pink thing fucking turns up again. I hope it doesn't, but I'm sure I'll notice if it does. It looks like, a, looks like he was wearing cowpole. <laughs> I don't recall him wearing it ever again, but we you never know, he might sneak it in. Rodney's got his do- dodgy leather jacket on again, and I do like the fact that um, the dolls are near perfect, and obviously we find out that they've got, well, dodgy voices. They all seem to have different voices as well. And then we get the story about the, the cricket bats where um, Dale said they were signed by Viv Richards and it turns out it was Davy Richards' sister, not the cricketer. So yeah, typical old Dale, but I suppose they were signed by Viv Richards so he wasn't lying, just wasn't the Viv Richards as Rodney points out. Exactly, yeah, that's, that's a good one that is. And there's a bit as well um, 
where Rodney's talking about, oh yeah, we're starting ourselves on like Frankie goes to Hollywood, and then he like bangs on the van, and Del as he's getting in like bangs his head because it makes him jump. He's like, you do that again, Rodney. It won't be uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. It'll be Rodney goes to hospital. That line always <laughs> cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, I do love that line. It is a classic, isn't it? So let's have a look at how the episode continues then, Bread Roll. Later, back at Nelson Mandela House, Del tells Albert that the Shamrock Club in Deptford, the Paddy's Moulin Rouge, has no act for St. Patrick's Night since their resident band, the Dublin Bay Stormers, are in prison for their violent behaviour. Del manages to secure a booking for Rodney's band at the Shamrock Club with a clever ruse which involves a carefully timed slamming door and a bachelor's LP on the record player, then calling Liam, the owner of the club, on the phone and telling him that it will require £300 to hire the band for St. Patrick's Night. Once the conversation is over, Dell heads off to the community hall to tell Rodney. That night, at the community hall, Rodney and his band are rehearsing a song they wrote called Boys Will Be Boys, which will be stuck in your head if you know it, with Mental Mickey providing lead vocals, two other men named Stu and Charlie both playing rhythm guitars, and Rodney playing drums on packing cases. Dell enters, listens to the band playing their song rather badly, then tells him he wants to be their manager and will buy them brand new instruments as well as getting them bookings. Mental Mickey allows Dale to take the position. Dale then asks the bands if they know any Bachelor songs, and the band look at him nonplussed. Now their manager, Dale promises the band that this time next year they will be millionaires, only to walk out of the hall and then laughing at how poor the band are. So that's kind of quite a long scene there. And that song, apparently, um, old Mental Mickey, the guy who played in Daniel Peacock, he wrote that song. I mean, we only ever really hear the first little bit of it and a bit of the chorus, so... I don't know if it was ever a full song that he wrote, but it's fucking catchy, isn't it? It is, yeah. I've always thought that. I think that's one of the reasons I like this episode, it's just got that kind of like little catchy jingle, in it? Because it's like, listen here, stop me if you heard it, and all that sort of stuff. So it's actually not too bad. Um, one thing, just obviously jumping ahead before we discussed a bit of the flat, it says there that at the night time, which apparently is, they was all fucking done up as always and dressed up. He says he goes down the community hall at night, but I swear it's like daylight when he's walking in. Then when he walks out again, and he obviously starts laughing at him. He stood outside and it appears to be like broad daylight. And the synopsis there said he went down there in the evening or night time. So I've always thought it's strange that he's going out for the night. He's obviously... Albert's conned him out of a fucking bottle of brandy. Yeah, when he turns yeah. up the hall, it looks like it's fucking daylight outside. Oh, right. I didn't really notice the, um, the what it looked like outside. I'll have to check that out next time I watch this, but it definitely says it night there. I mean, he is doled up, isn't he, Dale? He's got his black shirt and white tie on and his camel hair coat now, rather than the sheepskin one. So he looks like he's um, doled up to go somewhere. But this is Dale, isn't it? He? he wears a suit during the day quite often. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It might just be, I don't know, it might just be the angle on it, but I've always thought when he walks in, it looks like he's walked in straight off the street and the, the doors, obviously, they're like glass see-through doors. It just looks like it's daylight outside, so it's just always like, spun me out that bit. Maybe I'll look closer. It might be like coming from a hallway or something, but just to me, it looks like he's walked in and when he goes out, he stood outside and it's broad daylight, but it might just be, again, you know, tomato, tomato sort of thing. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, when he phones the Shamrock Club, he gets through straight away as well, doesn't he? He picks up the phone and he's like, oh, hi, Shamrock Club, can I speak to Liam, please? The phone doesn't even bloody ring. But it's a good scam he does with the record player in the door. It's very clever. I mean, Dell, as we know, is a complete blagger. But even for him, that's quite a clever little scam, isn't it? I think it's great. I, I love this bit. It's so fucking stupid. But um, obviously, David Jason gets the timing right because he's like, hold it on, you lot, I'm on the blower. And he like slams his fucking kitchen door just as he turns the volume down. I'm just thinking that's fucking great. Because obviously the quality of mobile phones, well, when a mobile phone was it, it was one of those old fucking dicky phones. Um, 
no one would have thought I'd really been able to suss it out, but it's such a stupid scam, but it's so good the way he plays it off. Yeah, and I was thinking this, watching this a couple of days ago now for the review, that old Liam, he can't know Dale very well because basically everyone knows Dale's a fucking wind-up and a scam artist. And if, if he knew Dale well, he'd be like, no, I'm not interested, mate, wouldn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do like the fact that obviously Uncle Albert's getting his feet under a little bit more now and he's sort of like just sat there and like going, oh, I can't wait to tell Rodney the good news. And like he's like, no, no, it's supposed to be a surprise. And he's sort of cons Dell out of that sort of like brandy. He's like, oh, we may as well just leave the bottle down here, save me getting up. But I thought Albert was pretty good. Yeah, it is good. Like I say, Albert's definitely getting his feet under the table a little bit. And he also tells Dale that the family used to tell him stories about Dale and he never believed them until now. So again, proving going back to um, strained relations that he obviously knew about Dale. And I do still find it weird that Dale didn't know Albert, just Albert knew about Dale. It's just weird it wasn't the other way around as well, isn't it? Yeah, maybe just a flaw in the kind of like, um, also like the continuity, the continuality of the actual show and stuff. But yeah, it's weird that, like you say, Albert seems to know all about Dale, but Dale doesn't know Jack all about Albert, basically, because Dale knows everyone, like we said before. Exactly. And then obviously we get to the community centre. <laughs> the first thing Mental Mickey says, come on, Rodney, give it some symbols. And then Rodney's just got these two boxes. He sort of looks as if, say, what fucking symbols? Yeah, yeah, that is good as well. And again, the classic as we did at the start there, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do the one, two, three, fours, Rodney. Then as the fucking scene goes on, he's like getting worse and worse. Like, oh, I don't know what I've done, three fours. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And Dale, this what made me think that maybe they hadn't written much more of the song because Dale seems to interrupt them at the same point every time they start singing. He's like, oh, hold on a minute. Just made me think that maybe they'd only written the first couple of lines and never actually got any further. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout, actually. <laughs> I've got to say, oh, fucking David Thewlis. He looks like, like, I don't know what he's wearing. He's wearing a shirt that's like a thousand times too big for him. He's just sort of sat there looking like he's just come off the fucking street. And the guy sat opposite him. I don't know, he looks like Sting almost. Not I'm um, the wrestler, the fucking singer. But <laughs> the, the way they're fucking like just sat there, like when, I don't know what costume they went for or anything, but they did have such a pair of ragtags. And obviously Rodney just looks like bloody Rodney. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it was a fashion back then, wasn't it, for that kind of Trotsky anarchist as they claim to be. I mean, yeah. Mickey's fucking jeans are up around his shin somewhere, aren't they? They're so fucking high up. And yeah, they look a right fucking bunch of wallies, in fact. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good name, isn't it? I don't even know what that jacket that Mickey's wearing is supposed to be. It's a bit of everything, isn't it? It's kind of like fucking like a biker vest, but it's got like fluffy armpits and fucking a collar and everything on it. It's fucking ridiculous. But like you say, that sort of like punky, troxy anarchist and stuff, a sort of thing they just get away of wearing. Yeah, it is great. And it's so 80s as well. I love it. So let's have a look at how it continues then. So on St. Patrick's Night at the Shamrock Club, a riot has broken out due to the performance of Rodney's band. Rodney, Dale, Stu and Charlie exit the club with their instruments and escape in a trotter van, while Menton Wiki enjoys himself fighting various club patrons. A few days later at the trotter's garage, Rodney has invited a policeman in to tell him that the band's instruments were stolen. But Dale appears at the garage door and explains to his younger brother and the policeman that he had them on a sailor return basis, much to Rodney's surprise. Dale gets rid of the policeman and tells Rodney that the band were never destined for the Albert Hall or Carnegie Hall. The only hall they were destined for was Soddle. I love that. After yeah. explaining that he was sacked from the band for defending his older brother, Rodney asks Dale why he always interferes in everything his younger brother does. Dale answers that their mother Joan said to him on her deathbed to give Rodney all the encouragement he could. But <laughs> Rodney points out that whatever they are arguing about, their mother always had something to say about it on her deathbed. 
such as a drunk Dale telling Rodney to go and get the fish and chips because Joan said, send Rodney for the fish. <laughs> Dale then pays Rodney his share of the £300 booking fee and tells him to just forget about Mental Mickey's group and move on. With the conversation over, the Trotter brothers ventured to the market to flog hooky Maltesers. It's actually a really good scene, the whole garage scene, isn't it? But there's a big continuity thing here because we obviously see the garage in various episodes, probably the most famous is Time on Our Hands, and it's completely different in that episode. For a start, there's a wall in front of it in this episode, and in Time on your, in our, on, I can't speak, on Our Hands, they, they drive the car in front of it for a start, and the garage is a lot smaller in that episode. So obviously we've said before with the whole outside of the flat and the nag's head as well, the continuity is not brilliant, to be honest. No, it's not. Because in this one, it's like a proper lockup, isn't it? Like you say, it's mm. kind of like they've come round and it's in a proper, like, like you say, natural, like its own kind of area sort of thing. It's massive. You can walk into it. Whereas um, obviously later on, time, in our, time on our hands is like those typical kind of lockup, uh, not lockup, um, just typical kind of council estate garages where they're all in a row, weren't it? Like a row of about 20 garages and they... Yeah. just about big enough to get your car in. So I don't know how you're just supposed to drive your car and actually get out the door because they're so fucking small. Like you say, <laughs> yeah. it is completely different. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, my old man, when he bought a bigger car, he had to get rid of his garage. Um, we, had, we, Well, he rented the garage slightly down the road. There's not one on the house here. And um, yeah, the car wouldn't fit in a bloody garage, so he had to give up the rent on it. So that's another story. Um, I mean, going back to the start of that synopsis there, when they're at the um, the Shamrock Club, we don't actually see any of the gig. We literally just see the uh, the tail end of it where they're all escaping. And then we get the classic scene with Dell with the symbol when he's shaking and the symbol's going. That's fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's amazing. That, again, all that that always cracks me up. And I love the way he's just trying to... Like, they've got the shitty little three-wheeled van, but he manages to stuff like four band members in, the drums and everything. I mean, <laughs> Ricky's obviously still just fighting away, but like that guy, I don't know if it's Rodney or one of the other guys, but they're driving off and the door of the van's open, the back of it. And he's just hanging on to the big fucking like snare drum or whatever it is, with his legs wrapped around it. It's like, fuck, you know, this is so stupid, but it is funny. It's absolute carnage, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't get away with that now. You'd be pulled over straight away. But, um, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? And then we get another one of the dolls in this episode when they're back in the garage. I think it's um, going exterminate, isn't it? When um, the copper says to Rodney, you've got some interesting stuff in there. Oh, yeah, we collect things. There's all these fucking dolls and just random shit in there. There's a bit as well, another classic bit from Dow. It's really good, actually. Just a lot of the like um, physical comedy in this is spot on. But when Rodney's talking to the policeman, Dell walks around and he's got like a box on his head. Then he just sort of like turns around and it stays on his head and he just catches it. And walks off the other way. It's fucking amazing. It is good. And I think we talked about that when we did this in our top 10. The way David Jason does it is amazing. I wonder if he did it in on first take. Because it's quite um, clever the way he just spins and the box stays there and he walks off. I bet it took him a few goes to do that. Yeah. And that line, like you mentioned there in the uh, synopsis, when <laughs> Rodney's talking about, like, um, they were saying that on her, on her deathbed, she said, send Rodney to get the fish. That's always just fucking <laughs> cracks me up that bit. Because the way, obviously, I'm... Um, Nicholas Lindhurst delivers the line is amazing. Yeah, and Dale was like, "Yeah, I'd had a few, hadn't I?" So even he's admitting it's absolutely bullshit. Um, but <laughs> Dale blags that copper pretty easily, doesn't he? Like the copper's obviously looking around, noticing the stuff, the fact that probably everything in that garage is nicked, and he's putting two and two together. And Dale's like, "Oh, there's some kids around there just messing about with your panda car," and the copper's like, "Oh," and runs off. He just falls for it straight away, and he's like, "I might be back later," but obviously we never see him again. Well, yeah, considering like the long legs of the law or whatever it's called, um, when Rodney brings the copper home, um, she like says, oh, I spotted everything in your flat from um, Scotland Yard's um, pictures. And it's like, well, they'll, they'll rob stuff that's that high property. But fair enough, you've managed to obviously spot 
ordered stolen goods. And this guy's obviously a beat cop and stuff. So surely he would have noticed like one or two things. But um, one thing here, like we said earlier, um, like Dell's loading up the van and stuff and not giving Rodney a kick up the ass. In this bit here, it might just be because obviously he's really sorry for what he's done to Rodney about ruining his dream. He actually gives him half the money. Because normally that he's yeah. like, oh, we got 300 quid from this job. And he gives Rodney 150. Normally he'd be like, we're going to split it down the middle. There's 50 quid for you, 250 for me or something <laughs> like that. Typical Dell mathematics. But he actually gives Rodney half the cash this time. Yeah, you're right. I never put two and two together there. That's a good spot for Well, Yeah, he never, never gives Dell, uh, Rodney half the money. And he's the way he always does it, like you say. Well, we're splitting this right down the middle. 100 for you, 100, 250 for me or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> good spot there. And Rodney, Rodney, I mean, he does it in quite a few episodes, but in this one, he goes so high-pitched, doesn't he? He's like, none of us wanted to play this Shamrock <laughs> Club. He goes so fucking high-pitched. Uh, I wonder if, like, he, he sort of caught himself and that took a few takes, but like you say, he does literally, he does do a few squeaky ones as the series goes on. <laughs> he does. And then he shows Dale his ear, where apparently Mental Mickey tried to bite it. There's not a mark on it that I can see. He's like, look what it did to my ear. It's like, nothing there, Rodney. What are you on about? But yeah, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like Rodney, we've, we've said this all along and I'm sure we'll keep saying it because it happens quite often. Rodney and Dell obviously do stick together in the end and uh, Rodney had stuck up for Dell. He knew Dell was ripping him off and everything, but he stuck up for him and obviously took the stick for it when Mickey obviously attacked him in inverted commas and kicked him out of the band. Yeah, yeah. And again, I would say it's an ongoing thing because at the start, isn't it, when Dell first walks into like, the community hall and everything, um, and starts talking. Like everyone else is kind of getting hooked in, and Rodney, for the most part of that scene, is like, "Come on, if this is just a wind up, just get on with it, and then bugger off." Like he, he's kind of like clued up, but even he kind of like falls for it towards the end, doesn't he? But yeah, so it is good the fact that they will always stick up for each other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got some quite un PC views here from old Del Boy when he talked about show business having to watch your deaf and dumb and all that. It's a little bit un PC these days. Yeah, you know, he's like they're all Stoke and Trent, like Stoke on Trent in that game as well. It's just like, well, <laughs> I got that one to fly today, but it is. Um, I, I use that term every now and then just for a laugh. But um, yeah, as I say, it would uh, ruffle a few feathers these days, I think. Yeah, it's of its time, isn't it? So let's have a look at how the episode uh, wraps up. So one evening, sometime later, I'm not sure about the time scale to be honest, but thanks, Wiki. As Dale was talking to Monkey Harris on the telephone about the candy dolls, he watches the TVs. I said two of them and discovers to his complete horror that the group, now named a bunch of Wallies, and of having hired a new manager, are at number 26 on the UK singles charts, and are performing their song on top of the pops. Suddenly, Dale hears Rodney entering the flat and quickly turns both TVs off, as Rodney wants to watch top of the pops, but Dale tells him that both TVs are broken. And so Rodney decides to enter Albert's bedroom and annoy him about taking an old woman from a laundromat to an old folks' beano. While that happens, Dale quickly puts on his camel coat while Albert exits his bedroom and tells him that Rodney's busy watching Top of the Pops on a portable TV. Just as Dale was about to escape, a fuming Rodney exits Albert's bedroom and tells Dale that Mental Mickey and his band are in the charts and are likely to reach number one, and Rodney has lost out on it. Dale protests that he had too lost out as he was the band's manager. Rodney produces his old drumstick and threatens to hurt Dale with it. And that's how the episode ends. And I've always thought it was a really abrupt ending, isn't it? He just picks it up and goes, I'm going to stick this right where the sun don't shine or something. And it just ends. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes they end with obviously looking like they're going to say something else or it does that weird blur thing. But yeah, this one completely ends. Um, one thing I did think watching this is when we cut to obviously Dale watching Top of the Pops, this must be the first time we see the fourth wall of the flat because you're actually seeing an angle 
over his shoulder and he's actually watching it on the TV screen. So we, the TV audience, can see what he's watching. But normally the okay. audience would be sat there. So we rarely ever see the view of them actually looking that way into their flat, which I thought was a bit strange. Another good spot, Fredwell. You've done, you've done some good uh, good spotting on this episode. <laughs> Dale's got that fucking brown shirt on. I think we talked about this in the top 10. And he's just got one button randomly undone, hasn't he? He's got like a tie on and just like, I think the second or third button down is just undone. I don't know if that was intentional or not. This looks really weird. Oh, he looks like a fucking inverted Mars bar, doesn't he, with his outfit on? <laughs> <laughs> Shitty, really deep chocolate brown shirt. And he's got like beigey brown fucking trousers. And like you say, like he's got pretty much all the buttons undone. His chest is showing. His tie is like at a fucking stupid angle. He looks ridiculous. <laughs> and then he sits on one of those dolls and he goes, oh, boo boo, or something like that from Yogi Bear, doesn't it? So another one with a stupid voice in it. And then. One thing I did notice, I'd never noticed this before, when you see very slight glimpses of Mickey and the band on top of the pops, sort of on the TV in the background, you never actually see the drummer. He's kind of covered up by the other band members. So I don't know if that was for any reason or just coincidence. Obviously, Rodney was a drummer originally, and you don't actually see who replaced him. Probably Mickey Pierce. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Mickey does like to step <laughs> in, doesn't he, when Rodney's doing something. I mean, he nicked his girlfriend a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. Also, as well, like the song, the way they're singing and everything is much different to um the kind of anarchist yeah. style that they were singing before. Wasn't it? it actually sounds really melodic and everything in the background as they're doing it. Yeah, it does. It's really slow, like saying melodic, as opposed to the sort of punky vibes they were doing when they had their sort of shit instruments in the boxes that Rodney was drumming on. But Dell, when he's blagging Rodney, the TVs are broken. I mean, Dell was not very believable at the best of times, but it's obvious he's lying. He's panicking he's staring his tea with bloody cigars oh the tvs are broken rodney oh i'm gonna have to get firm out and everything they're both broken it's like come on dale even rodney's not going to believe that yeah he does again he does it really well like that physical comment the way he's like he always like rodney and cigar and i don't have that one and he stirs his tea he's like oh that one's wet and then he drinks the tea or coffee whatever it is it's it's really good it's so slapstick but again david jason just does it perfectly in this episode yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, and then Rodney goes in to tell Albert about the woman he's supposedly set him up in the laundromat. And then Albert comes out about a second later. There's no chance that Rodney have had time to explain all that in the time that it takes Albert to come back out of the bedroom. No, and there's also the fact that, um, obviously, Dale was watching Top of the Pops and he sees the song. He sees, like, the bunch of wallies and stuff. And the song's obviously underway. Rodney comes in, they do the whole laughing back and forth, the TVs aren't working. Then Rodney goes into the living room. It's like... That's about a good sort of six or seven minutes like scene. How long is this song that they're singing? Like, are they still just going and going and going and going for like encores or something? Because by the time Rodney would have gone in and booted Albert out of his room and turned the TV on, probably got a signal with the shitty aerials we used to have back then, the fucking song would have been over. That's a really good shout, actually. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exactly sound like it's going to be a particularly long song. I mean, we only ever hear one verse and a little bit of the chorus anyway. But yeah, good shout, actually. Yeah, it wouldn't have been that long, would it? Yeah. Um, and that, like you say, that's pretty much how the episode wraps up. So I don't really have much else to say about this one other than it is a bloody good episode. And yeah, maybe it shouldn't have been in our top 10, but there's something about it that's just fun to watch and it is really well put together. So from that point of view, it's obviously why it made it in there. Yeah, I think, I mean, when we originally were doing the top 10 and we decided to do a joint one rather than one each because we'd have crossed over a lot in the end and we'd just been repeating ourselves, a bit like we're doing now, actually. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think we, we, we tried to mix it up a little bit. We both really liked this episode because we could have just had the whole of series six and seven and had done with it because, you know, on the face of it, they are probably the best episodes. But, you know, we wanted to mix it up with some older ones, some ones that had different characters and that in. So I, I think this one's worthy of it just because it is a little bit different. 
And we do get, I mean, Mental Mickey's only in obviously this one episode, he's not in it a lot, but he's a good character. Yeah, yeah, he's good. And again, he's never one of those side characters, only appears once. Um, but he is really memorable in his own right. So yeah, fair play to him. Good episode. And um, definitely recommend anyone out there, if, uh, if you like this episode, and obviously let us know at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. If you don't remember this episode, I would recommend if you've got access to either the DVDs or if you've got Now TV, they're all available on there. I'd recommend checking this one out because it is a really good episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Albert only has a fairly small part in this one. He was obviously the main character last week, sort of... Um... We're getting to know him a bit better, but he's only a, a sort of bit character in this one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is actually, now that you mention it. He's not in it that much at all. I think the scene with the bottle of brandy is probably like the main bit of him. But yeah, I mean, again, that's another great thing about Only Fools, isn't it? Like, they can use the characters sparingly or can they use them full on, but they usually, whenever they're on screen, at least they actually bring something to the episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going to sort of some of the other characters, we haven't seen Boise or Trig sort of much so far in this series, have we? No, we haven't, but um, we will be seeing Boise in next week's episode, I believe. We will indeed, and we'll also be meeting another new character who became uh, a mainstay from uh, there on in as well. Um, so if you don't know who that is, you better tune in next week. Absolutely, and uh, to stay up to date with everything we're doing, either with the Only Fools and Horses podcast or our movie reviews, then by all means follow us at The Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter, and let us know what you think of not only the show in general, but what your favourite Only Fools and Horses episodes are as well, and we'll give you a shout out in the episode if uh, you give us any tidbits or behind the scenes information that we can use, and for me, Bread Roll, I'm signing off. And for me, JT... Before I do my one last thing, if anyone wants to come on and chat about their favourite episode, obviously it'd have to be a forthcoming one. Um, let us know, because we'd love to have you on. If you've got a favourite episode that's coming up or one of the specials, then um, yeah, drop us a, a thing on Twitter and we can see about getting you on and we can all chat about it. I've actually asked Dan, who does our theme tune, to come on and talk about an episode, but he's so bloody busy trying to pin him down. It's difficult, but I'll keep plugging away at him. Anyway. From EJT now, I've just got one last thing to say. As Bread Rolls nicked most of my quotes from this one, I'll come up with this one. Well, you're not quite up to the standards of Spandau Bally or the Rum the Rum. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw.